our company is BJK University. Uh, we serve the the uh, the the person that's trying to. Well, I guess everyone is trying to improve their lives, but it's more of the 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 nine to five or the person that's trying to get out of the the matrix, I guess you could call it, and then trying to do something to improve their lifestyle. Welcome to the Everything is Influence podcast. This podcast is dedicated to help you understand why human beings do the things they do and ultimately how you can work with human psychology to influence change and get people to do what you want them to. Whether this is your clients, your prospects, your kids, your spouse, or anyone you come into contact with, this show will give you the tools of influence so that you can become more, unlock your true potential, and serve even more powerfully than you already do. My name is Eli Wild. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back everyone to another amazing episode of the Everything is Influence podcast, where on each and every episode, we look at the four levels of influence and how this amazing entrepreneur has mastered them. And so again, the four levels of influence, level one, how does this person influence himself, beliefs, values to become the person? What are the experiences that made this person who he is? How has he taken his beliefs and values and transferred that to another human being in the realm of influence, in the realm of business, to get them to do stuff and buy stuff? How has he done that at scale? That's level three. And then how has he put his beliefs and values and systems into people and process to create a legendary business that goes on where he's not doing all the work? And so without any further ado, Mr. Bashar, how are you? I am doing great, man. Thank you very much for having me. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to get into it um, because we have been in each other's kind of, you know, realm. We're in the same city. Like we sure. do work in your company, you, you know, you're, you're talking to my business partner all the time. And so I, I hear about what you're up to and what you're doing. And um, my business partner, Eli Sanchez said that you wanted to do more speaking, more podcasts, get on some of these things. And I was like, come on mine. And he told me a bit about your story. And so I think we should start there because for everybody listening, um, some people might not know of what you've done. Um, you have like such a dominant business in the Amazon online space. And I've seen your team, obviously, and your systems and what you do and what you've done from a marketing and delivery and number of clients perspective is huge. But let's start off with, you know, we we jump around a bit in this episode. Sometimes I, I move things around, but I, I want to start off just to give some context for everybody um, with the level four influence. Like, what are you doing now? What company do you have? Um, what does your business do? And, and who do you serve? So as of right this moment, um, our company is BJK University. Uh, we serve the the uh, the the person that's trying to. Well, I guess everyone is trying to improve their lives, but it's more of the 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 nine to five or the person that's trying to get out of the the matrix, I guess you could call it, and then trying to do something to improve their lifestyle. Um, so our our average client is you know someone that makes anywhere between fifty to seventy, maybe even hundred k a year. Uh, 80% of them don't have a business currently, um, and they're trying to get into their first business or just have more time for their family, have more time for, you know, to do the things that they really want. So th this is the client that we serve currently. And um, we're a platform that teaches people how to start online businesses. Currently, we're focused on Amazon just because I started as an Amazon seller years ago. Uh, but the future in the for the company over the next five years would be to get into other verticals where we're helping people acquire a skill they can turn into income within 90 days or less. Oh, 
So it's going to be all bizarre. For the most part, yes. There might yeah. be backend stuff where we, you know, collaborate with other business owners, but for the main part, that's our that's our kind of uh, main main audience that we're trying to serve. And real quick, if you could, if you could let everybody know, um, give us some numbers. How many students? Like revenue? Like you know, kind of give us the information that you could because it's so um, mind blowing what you've been able to create in such a short time. Where's your business at today? So we started in 2019, first full year, we did about uh, 350K, then 1.2, 2021, uh, 2020, then 9.5, 2021. And then uh, this year we'll close the year with about 18 million. Yeah, wow. and um, and we have projections to do about 40 next year. We'll see how that goes. I'll, I'll report to you in 12 months. But until now, we've been able to only do it with one offer. So we have one funnel, one marketing uh, uh, strategy, and one offer. Uh, so starting this next year, we want to kind of change that a little bit, uh, shift from just one offer to back-end offers and then multiple front-end offers as well. Yeah, it's, you know, the back-end, most companies, you know, I, I, I'm i a big fan of a guy named Jason Fladling. Do you know him? I do, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And he, you know, they had the plan, um, they did the largest, like they did a crypto offer, did about $60 million off of a webinar, um, and he's just amazing with it. But the main thing they pushed in the content that I went through when I was studying his webinar process, and by the way, for everyone, he's the one that taught Russell Brunson, like the webinar process. He was the inspiration there for how to break beliefs and shift them. And the main thing that he was doing, so I was going through all the content on webinar, but he was talking about his key example, which was selling Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I'm really familiar with it just from that marketing and digging into it. And he said, a lot of times these people make all their money on the back end. Right. And it's like sometimes they just break even, but you're doing way better than that. I, I know a lot, we have a lot of students that we up in sales, people selling, you know, e-com, Shopify stores. Uh, what do you think has helped you guys have so much more success than everybody else? I think having um, a clear vision inside of the company, you know, I, this is something that we, we pride ourselves with and we've had, Right now we are, we're a team of about 60, 63 people. And we've had, you know, maybe a couple hundred people come through the company over the last few years. And all of them agree on one thing that we've got a great culture, at least greater than anything that they've seen. Uh, we, you know, we have people that have worked for, for fortune 500 companies. And then when they jump on our weekly meetings, they're always like, what the hell is this? This is not usual. Right. And so this is the thing that has always we've put in front of everything else is how can we serve our, our client at the highest level and, and how can we make sure that we are showing up every day to support our vision and our mission in life, which is not just the paycheck, but how can we have the paycheck be a byproduct of our service, right? Mm -hmm. And this goes from top to bottom. I mean, everybody from leaders all the way to the soldiers on the ground that are doing the day-to-day -day stuff. So having a very clear vision and, and, and allowing people to be innovative as well, mm -hmm. giving them the, um, giving them the space to innovate and to fail and fail forward. You know, I've seen companies where they say that they reward innovation, but they also punish the, not the lack of innovation, but the failure, I guess. But mm -hmm. it's like, if you're asking someone to try something new, I mean, they're not going to win 100% of the times, even if they win one out of 10 times, that's fine. Maybe that one will cover all the nine failures, right? So going back to what did we learn from this? How can we improve? How can we go forward? 
So that's one of the things and allowing people to have the room to 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 do the to run their own their own job as a business. Our sales mm -hmm. reps, our our departments are ran as a business within the business, right? And so that's kind of the thing that we focused on from day one, uh, because I always thought of if I want to build something great, I need incredible people together. And incredible people usually either have their own thing, they're working somewhere already, they're already on a great opportunity. How can I bring them here? Couple of things, number one, provide them more opportunity that they can ever experience anywhere else. Number two, give them a vision that's bigger than themselves, that's bigger than anything that they can, they feel like a, a sense of belonging to. That's amazing. It's, you know, you, I was gonna ask you, what's the culture? And I see you're giving a personal responsibility, giving creative freedom, not, you know, realizing that they're running some new plays and if they don't, if they don't work out, uh, that's fine. What is an example of something that where somebody won, where you gave them the creative justice to be able to go out and innovate and do something unique that was really great? Or give me like a, a, a an example just for everybody here. Like it could be a something that won or something that failed massively. <laughs> So a couple of things I can think of, and, and I'll tell you a little bit more about um, about sales, you know, because you guys work with our sales team pretty pretty closely and, and you might have some insight there, but um, our head of sales, um, Aaron, he definitely runs that thing as an owner, not an operator, and as this is his own company. Uh, from day one, I realized that Aaron had way bigger potential to do anything that he wanted and i knew that if i was to keep him i want i was i needed to give him the freedom and i needed to give him the the band not the bandwidth but the potential to become whatever he wanted to become and mm -hmm. so from building the sales team like in the beginning i i had never done sales when i got into um coaching i um i looked at sam ovens as as a mentor I, I had a multiple seven-figure uh, a year Amazon business. I wanted to build a consulting business. I saw webinars. I'm like, cool. I tried Russell Brunson stuff, didn't work. I saw Sam Ovens, and I was hoping that he would teach me how to run automated webinars. But he started teaching how to do phone uh, 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 phone oh. phone sales, you know. And I'm like, I've never picked up a phone in my life. So oh. I got his script, and I just started like closing, you know. And I was closing at like eighty or ninety percent, but it was I was selling a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar product, so it was a little bit of an easier close. Yeah. And then Aaron came on with not a whole lot of experience, but I saw the hunger, right? So I started coaching him in the in the beginning until he got into your guys' stuff. This was like almost three years ago. Yeah, he got into was, your. That was the name of our program. You know, it's like when I worked for Tony. Um, that's one of the things that set me apart and they gave me a lot of freedom to kind of do what I do. And I hired my own assistant outside of the company to do my paperwork. And I just sold and we called the program sales CEO to be the right. ownership of your leads and your referrals. Like, and really like, I just had the sense of ownership and Aaron was one of the, I think he was the first or second student to ever sign up for the program. Um, you know, he paid for it himself and he was just, you know, all about it. And it was the first time we connected was a, a sales call. So that's that's amazing that you did that. Yeah, Aaron is a beast. Yeah, and 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 I remember I want to say it was the very first time you even was like it was a live thing that you guys did or whatever. And I remember his results go like this, and then just like take a dip because he was learning something new. And I, and every day I'd be like, dude, when is this program gonna be done? When is this program gonna be done? You know. But then right after his results just skyrocketed. And then he took what he learned there and he built at some point, at one point in our company, we had a 72 person sales team. Yeah. 
high achievers, all on culture, all just thriving to absolutely crush it, right? And he built the playbooks. He built the 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 the, the, the systems behind it. He built the KPIs. He built, built the scorecards. And I just gave him that freedom to go and absolutely do it with the assistance of you guys, other people in the industry, the leaders that he promoted, right? He would come up to me and say, hey, this is the leader that I want to promote. We would review it. Great, man. It's your, it's your, I used to always tell him, it's your business. I will support whatever you want, but yeah. just know that I'm here for you. If you fail, great, no problem. We'll fail together. If you win, it's you. It's your, it's your win. It's not mine. Right. So that's kind of the, the, like the, the winning example. Mm -hmm. Another example was we needed to bring the sales team size down because our marketing wasn't catching up and it took a while for them to catch up to where we needed to produce for sales. And there was a time where he just didn't want to let people go because he's like, dude, I've worked with them so much. They're such culture fits. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build a, I'm going to take the bottom performers and I'm going to build a, um, an outbound team, right? That will, that will go out there. They're hungry. They're, you know, the one red flag was an outbound team needs to be very skilled. You're going to take the bottom performers and put them there. We're not really setting them for success. But in his mind, and instead of letting them go, I'm still going to give them another opportunity. Three months later, two months later, that whole thing did not work out. We had to let them go and then, you know, kind of kill that whole part of the business. But again, it was a learning lesson. And then he learned whatever he learned there, but it brought it back to the team. If he hadn't gone through that, it would have been something that he would have always thought of and said, you know, I regret just letting these people go because I knew that I could have done this one thing for them, but I needed to allow him to do that. Right. Yeah. And, and gave him the freedom. And, and if it failed, great, man, no problem. We'll learn from it and keep moving forward. We're not going out of business tomorrow anyway. So. Yeah. And just curious, this is almost, this is on topic. Um, and I'm going to make it as relevant as possible for everybody listening. Do you think, because, you know, here we are, as we're recording this, we're going into, you know, it's December, 2022 and the market for what you guys do. And it's, it's amazing. You continue to scale up. I have some questions here um, because the niche that you're in, um, is competitive. There is a lot, you know, a lot, everything is getting more saturated with what I do, you do. And so a lot of companies are instilling that outbound model, like they're going back to it now. And, you know, I was talking to my buddy Cole that we both know, um, they do it and I've seen the numbers for it. Do you think it takes, it takes a while to ramp up, it takes like 90 to 180 days to get it going. Do you think for your business with where you're at, that you'll have a division of outbound people as well? Uh, so yeah, so we're 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 now implementing that in a, in a in the way that Cole does it. The way yeah. we implemented it, it was completely outbound. It was like you guys are soldiers on the ground. You got to go and produce your own leads, type of thing. And yeah. I think that was good, but we didn't have the right systems. Neither did we have the right people because again, we're talking about the bottom performers. And I think in an outbound, you've got to be a complete beast. Like you've got to be an absolute killer to go out there and do outbound. You know, like I, when I first started my program, I did outbound. Um, I would add people on Facebook groups. I would move them into the chats. And then from there, I would book them on a call. And this is how I did it. And I worked 18 hours every single day, nonstop. Like wow. it was just, a, it was a machine. This is how I, I we did like, I think 40 or 50,000 a month. It was just me, all that while still coaching and then still running a seven figure Amazon business. But I knew it wasn't scalable. So you really had to be on your game. The way we're shifting now, and this is something that we're going to be implementing over the next quarter is the way that Cole does it, which is calling opt-ins. Yep. 
So they opt in. And right now we don't, we, I mean, there's days where we have a thousand opt-ins a day and our opt-in to book call ratio is only 10%. Cole talks about how his funnel converts at 25, 30%. So we're thinking that we can double, if not triple our numbers by just implementing um, setters on the front end. Yeah, there's, there's so much to it. And, you know, um, I do want you to come to my speaker event. So I'll kind of plug a little commercial just directly at you or anybody listening, because we're gonna do a bunch of these. You know, it's like, there's so much happening inside of a funnel um, and you can track the VSL scripts and all of it and they work, you know, sometimes too, it's, it's the presenter, it's the message, it's the messaging copy, the avatar, it's the targeting. There's so many different things that we always say. It's like, if the person can hook attention really well, and so we've got some unique things to do with a tonality, like I'm doing now, like, and I've seen Tony do this where he's just, he's got people for like 16 hours straight in a room. And it's like, there's little sub, you know, sub communication things that are, that are really good that I'm actually going to work with Cole on, uh, to help him and some of the other people inside of his group. And, uh, I might talk about it this week, um, at his event. So yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to see because ours is always done really well, but we're not doing any of this and I don't do any of the marketing or targeting or all of it. And we get a really good, good rate. And so there's, you know, it's, it's unique little things and nobody's quite figured out exactly what that X factor is. And I've seen some of the best bomb and I've seen people, you know, put up their worst performance and it just, and it just goes. And so that, you know, even, um, I, I spoke at Ty Lopez's event a lot and I respect what he's done. And he had so many offers going and he, you know, he had his own system to it. And I coached his salespeople back when he was really pumping everything up. And he said, you know, I was with his team one day and they spent, you know, they all, they tried all these VSLs. They tried so many things and none of the, none of it was working. And then he just picked up his cell phone and he did that here in my garage video just off his cell phone. He says, in, they said inside of that garage, there was about $200,000 worth of video equipment. And he just said, I'm just going to do one. And that was completely off the fly. And that one became quite, quite famous. I mean, it has like over a billion views uh, yeah. on that thing. So sometimes just a unique message and hook and, you know, how all that does. And then on the back end side, you got to have hungry people. We've got an outbound person now. And, you know, I, I say it's like when you're getting into sales and a lot of people listening are new in sales, some more experience, cold calling, it's, it's the hardest thing. And they put the lowest skilled people on it. And so it's really, you know, when you first get into sales, it's kind of like a feast or famine thing. And they're, they're almost weeding you out. Like when I worked for Tony, um, of course, when I'm the new guy, I got all the bad meetings, car lots and, you know, things like that. People never read a book and I've got to sell a self-development seminar, but that's just the nature of the beast. It's not fair when you're, when you're coming up. Um, right. That's, that's good. And we can talk about all that. So I, I want to get into kind of reverse engineer. You have this monster business that has continued to scale. I do want to ask some questions um, in a little bit about, you know, process and, and how you've been able to do that from the marketing sales. I know you're big on the Instagram shout outs. Is right. that, that really how you built your following? How many people do you have on Instagram following? Uh, so as of this recording, 2.8 million. 2.8 million. And how long did it take you to get there? Uh, like a year and a half, about. A year and a half. Yeah, about a year and a half, less than two years for sure. And what was the strategy? So I'm, I'm curious for myself because I need to bump up mine. Uh, yeah. what, how did you do that? I mean, we, we taught it, it was simple strategy. We taught it to Cole and he's gotten to like five or 600,000 followers himself and, and he's doing pretty good things. Yeah, yeah your, your guy did a video for Cole and uh, they sent it to me. Um, yeah. What, what is that strategy in a nutshell? 
So it's pretty much, there's two parts to it. There is the influencer shout outs, which is you're finding, uh, you know, faceless pages that are like entrepreneurial uh, motivation and quotes and stuff like that. But you have to kind of, um, you have to make sure that like, like look at their audience, look at the back end, make sure that they, because the one thing that about these pages, a lot of them is 60% of their audience is from, you know, T3 countries that will probably never be able to buy your products. So if you want to just, you know, rack up in numbers, that's great. You can go and promote them. Their rates are lower. But if you want actual quality audience that's going to convert into a customer, if you've got a 5, 10, 20, 30, $50,000 program, you need quality people. So we look at pages that have at least 30, 40% of US-based audience, but majority is still going to be from T3 countries. That's okay. You know, as long as 30, 40% is all, uh, at least from that. So that's one part of it is the actual influencer shout outs. And we've been able to scale that to about 300, 350K in uh, a month in ad spend. You spend $350,000 on ad spend, on shout outs? We, we've been able, yeah, we've been able to scale. Right now we don't, we spend about 170, but we have uh, we have scaled up to 350. Yeah. So say, say, let's say 200 grand. Um, how many different influencer pages would that get you? Like, what's the cost? And I know it varies based on, like, if I asked Tom Brady to give me a shout out, probably going to be more expensive than a daily stoic. Sure. Uh, you know, it's what, is there a range of like what that cost? It's based on, uh, based on who it is, based on uh, audience quality, based on follower count, all that stuff. There's a page that uh, we promote on. It's the most expensive. They charge us twenty three hundred a a post. You know what? Uh, you know Jason Stone. I don't. Uh, so he's got a page called Millionaire Mentor. They've got nearly ten thousand, uh, ten million followers, and they charge anywhere between seven hundred to a thousand dollars a shout out. Uh, I believe we buy like thirty shout outs a month from them. So pages like that, right? But then there's pages that have got a couple hundred thousand followers, and they charge like twenty, thirty bucks. You know, yeah. as we were scaling, we were just promoting on everywhere because we wanted the numbers and we wanted to grow. But right now we're looking at pages that only have a million followers or more that the quality is like top tier, you know, because we're more looking at the quality now than the, just the quantity. Um, so that's the first part of it. The second part of it is the content, the actual yeah, I content. I want to ask this though, um, just, just for me personally, so you have all these accounts. So if you're spending that kind of money, it's a lot of them. How do you track? Do you have a way of tracking which ones are successful, which posts are successful, and which <laughs> page is the most successful? Like, how do you track all of that? Yeah, I'm hoping Mark Zuckerberg is watching this so that way he could put something in place. But unfortunately, no. Um, I'll make that's sure. The, he watches most of the episodes, I'm pretty sure. So I'll, I'll make sure. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, there is no, like that is the thing that I love about paid ads. It's that you know exactly click to click, end to end, where, where is what coming. With our strategy, and I think the reason why a lot of people have stayed away from this strategy, it's because of that. It's because right. of like, if I want to scale, like at some point we had like 400 pages that were promoting us on a daily basis, on a yeah. daily basis, you know? Who's doing what? No damn clue, you know? Mm -hmm. In the beginning, you can, like when we were doing, say, 10, 15, 20 pages, you could you could have them go to the link in bio. So they click on their link in bio, and then you can have like a, a trackable link in there and then can track that. But the whole goal with it is you want people to follow you. So yeah. there's a post on, so it's pretty much, let's say I put an ad on your page, and then you say, hey, follow my buddy Bashar. He's got great things on Amazon. If you'll learn how to do Amazon, if you want, follow him. 
So they click on my page, they come follow me because that's where the conversion happens. Um, again, unfortunately, there is no accurate tracking, but what we realized is we're just going to look at the macro. If we're spending 200 producing a million, we're at 5X ROI, we're good. You know, um, again, until it got to the point where it was just so many pages and then our ROI started declining, like I think we got to like two and a half, three X. That's when we started looking at, okay, let's refine the pages that we're on. So we started, we created a, a tighter criteria and then we dropped a lot of the pages. So now we're we're back to like five X, six X ROI. And I wanna even improve on that a little bit more. Um, but that's only the first part of the equation. It's the influencer part. And then there's the content part, you know? The content, uh, it's a lot of like self-development type stuff that you do. Like, what is that content like for somebody doing an e-com store? What would one of those content shout out pieces be? So we have, uh, we created a formula. It's four pieces. It's it's virality, number one. Number two, relevance. Number three, personality. And number four, uh, forgot what number four was. But these are the, the, the four things that each post needs to have. So the very first thing is it needs to be viral. It needs to be a viral idea. So the way that we do that is we go on other pages. By the way, this is the first time I'm sharing this. So anyone watching this, this is literally the first time this is going out. Uh, you've got a video that was in like a, in a mastermind where we shared the strategy, but no one really should have access to that. But uh, so you guys are in for a treat. <laughs> um, it's a, um, it needs to be viral. So usually we'll go to pages that are similar to our pages. And we say, what's going viral? What's, Let's say if if they have if they have a million followers, which of their pages are getting four to six times uh, forty to sixty percent of their followers and likes? So whatever their follower count is, forty to sixty percent and likes. So let's say if there is a um, if there's a a, a a post that's getting you know fifty, sixty, seventy thousand, and then all of their others are getting like. I don't know, 10, 15,000, then that post is viral, right? And then we grab that post and say, okay, this is virality. Can we make it relevant to us? Can we make it relevant to Bashar, to BJK University? Can we make it relevant to what we're doing here, right? So then there is that. And then the third thing is personality. So personality say, Eli, what's your backend story? You know, how you came up through the ranks, you started working with, with Tony, and then now you've got your own company and you've helped X, Y, and Z do this. So you start sharing some of your stories. And again, the fourth thing, I can't remember what it was, but this is what we do, the formula that we follow for every single step. And then we create the posts. Two pieces of, of content that you should be creating, either reels, the shorter, the better, not longer than 30 seconds. Six, Instagram allows, I think, 60 to 90 seconds, but 30 seconds are best. Or sliders, the post that like you can like slide and it has multiple sliders. Those are the two that we focus on. Mm. I'm going to start doing these. I'm going to start doing these. <laughs> I was on Instagram the other day and I'm not on there much. I don't promote myself. We don't really do any marketing. Um, and so I'm, I'm fixing that. It's been something I was like, eh, you know, now I'm like, I'm seeing it and I'm seeing uh, people with far inferior products than, you know, subpar products make a lot of money. And so I was talking to, to Cole and a few other folks on his team about that. And we're like, well, just do these things every day. And so we're going to have a human do a lot of that for me. So we're, uh, we're fixing that. So I want to uh, kind of reverse engineer uh, for everybody here now. So you've gotten to this level, you have an eight figure business, 
and you've done it all in the last few years. Initially, it was just you, but I want to go back further than that um, to get into your story. Where, like, where are you from? How'd you come up? And I know you've got some crazy things that you've been through. And what we always want to do uh, on this show is essentially show people what's possible. This is where you are, and it's all happened really quick. But kind of reverse engineer, like, how has this person become this person of influence in the world? Like, let's reverse engineer back. Like, where'd you grow up? What'd you go through that has created the character traits in you that has allowed you to create the vision for yourself and the business and the discipline and the systems? Like, where did all that come from? Because I, I take it you're, you didn't grow up like a multimillionaire or anything. Yeah. So I, I love, I love the, the, uh, the, you know, when like people look at the glamor and then they yeah. think like, holy shit, this person, like literally, if you look at my Instagram page, January of 2021, we had, um, was it 21? Yeah. I was in Miami, January of 2021. We had 40,000 followers, 40,000 followers, January of 2021. Yeah. Today, yeah. almost two years later, we'll have 3 million. Right. So, People will say, holy shit, in two years, you were able to grow from zero to three million followers on Instagram. Yeah, but then five years prior to that is when I started Instagram. And for five years, I was trying to figure it out. And then it just took off once I figured it out, right? Same thing with business. My, my university is my ninth business in the last 13 years. My, seventh, my eighth business actually worked. And then that helped me you know, start my ninth business which was teaching the thing that I learned from my eighth business, right? And so going back to, to where I was from, um, so actually my father was very wealthy in Iraq. Uh, so he had owned the second largest factory of clothing in Iraq. Um, in the 70s and 80s, my dad has a net worth of about, or had a net worth of about 40, 50 million dollars in that time. In Iraq. In Iraq, yeah. That's like 12 million dollars here. Yeah, yeah, that's like a shitload of money. Yeah. yeah. Um, in 1991, however, there was a, a Gulf War in Iraq, and that's when the Iraqi dinar, one dinar used to equal three U.S. dollars, went to overnight, one U.S. dollar equaling 1,200 dinars. That's insane. So, so my dad literally went from a multi-millionaire to dust overnight. Hey, it's me, Eli, interrupting my own podcast here to share with you something that I learned from my mentor that has really served me well. And that is where focus goes, energy flows. And if you are focusing on improving your influence and sales earning potential, then I want you to book a quick 15 minute call with my team so we can better understand your goals and see if we can help you drastically improve your influence and earning potential. The link to book a call is in the show notes. If you don't see it, message me on Facebook and I'll send it right over to you. Enjoy the rest of the show. Iraqi war changed the, the currency valuation right. that much. That That's is right. Like imagine some things out of your control that you can do nothing about. That is insane. So 100%. Down his business and the value of the currency just went down so much. Was that because they were in war with us. They didn't have foreign trade. Like how, how does that happen? Yeah. So, so Iraq was trying to invade Kuwait. America didn't allow that. So they set sanctions on Iraq. And then, you know, our ruler at the time, Saddam was crazy and he didn't want to, you know, kind of say, you know, lay down the, 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 what's it called? The, the, the guns and say, all right, I obey. He tried to go crazier. And then that's when, 
they completely, I mean, took over the, I don't want to say destroyed, but destroyed the economy pretty much overnight, you know? And that caused my dad's business to go out of business. But the problem was my dad got into this, um, this mental block that until today he hasn't been able to come out of. Like until today, the conversations, it's about the good old days, how it used to be in the past. And I'm talking about this as a, a very smart person that, again, owned the second largest factory of clothing in an entire country, right? And was able to put all of his kid brother. He didn't come from money. At 14 years old, he would start work at, at 4 a.m. and not finish until 10 p.m. because his father, he was the, one of the oldest uh, uh, sons and, and he did take care of his old father and to take care of his family. So he wasn't born into money and he was able to make all that. But then there was that, that, that time where it just broke him and he was never able to come out of that. So as I was growing up from the outside, he would look in to us and we looked like we were wealthy because we had accumulated properties. We were living in a very nice home. My dad had properties in like downtown Baghdad but we had zero cash flow. We were living hand to mouth the first 16 years of my life, you know? Um, 2003, the war in Iraq happened, the, 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 you know, the, the US invasion. 2006, we decided to leave Iraq because it just got very bad for us. And uh, we left everything there. We came to America, 06, 06, 06. We landed in Detroit. I spoke zero English, my, my, myself, my mom, and my brother and um, stayed with our relatives for a couple of weeks until we found our place. We lived in a one bedroom apartment. My first job was at McDonald's fl flipping burgers with my mom. I was actually uh, uh, working the drive through She was working in the kitchen. And um, I did that for a couple of years. Moved wow. to San Diego in 2007, worked at another McDonald's. And then after worked at a Greek restaurant for three years. And in 2009, 2010, my dad was able to liquidate some of his properties and bring some money to America. Mm -hmm. So that's when we bought a business in America. And this was kind of the introduction into my entrepreneurship you know, journey. But ever since I was a little kid, I always looked up to my dad. He was a mover. He was a shaker. He was looked up by the community and I wanted to be like him. Uh, but in 2010 was the first you know, introduction into my entrepreneurship journey. We started a, a family business. My brother, my mom, 60, you know, like 62 year old mom, 70, 40 year old dad were working in the kitchen with us. And then my brother and I were like in the front delivering all that was a pizzeria. And we did that for a year until I kind of went on to doing other things after. Well, uh, coming here to the States, given all of the political climate and you being of a different culture and we're at war with these people was, did you get some racism pushback in those communities? Like I would imagine that it was kind of a tough segue in, at that time uh, coming here, being from, you know, the Saddam country and all of that. Did you have to deal with anything like that? So um, my second business in 2003 was a restaurant in a country town. And yeah. uh, my name became Sean for three years. Okay. Uh, I actually, until now, I have uh, an email that's logged in that that I created uh, a Wistia account with. Um, that's Sean.info101. And until now, like our sales team and stuff like that sends emails, uh, uh, links out, and it says like the links has Sean. And people always wonder like, who the hell is Sean? I'm like, dude, I was Sean for three years. Um, so I, I dealt with racism for, for, for a, a while there. 
And my first video online in 2018, I think, or 19, I picked up the phone and I was, I don't know what I was going to talk about. And I said, hey, this is Sean Ketu from San Diego, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, no, fuck that. I'm going back to Bashar, you know? And um, and I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I'm I'm blessed to be online because, you know, I mean, we've got, like, our team is so diverse. It's insane, you know? Um but the whole online community is so diverse because we're working with people from all over the world. And it's so awesome. And I personally love it, you know, especially again, for me coming to, to the U S being from a, a, uh, you know, be, being Middle Eastern and that time, although I'm Catholic, you know, I, you still kind of people look at me in a different way, my name, where I'm from, that kind of stuff, but it's super cool to be online and to see that, you know, people have kind of gone past that, you know? And I, I understand from, you know, talking to Eli about your story a bit. Uh, did you get kidnapped or something like that? Yeah. You know, what I heard, like, when, like, what, 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 what happened here? Like, give me, give me yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this was kind of the last straw and why we left Iraq. Uh, so I was kidnapped at gunpoint right before, before we left Iraq, um, probably about a, a month, uh, a year before. Again, to the world, we looked like we were wealthy because right after Iraq, a new business was established for the like the local thugs, and that was kidnapping high-profile, uh, 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 you know, the kids of high-profile people and asking for ransoms. And those weren't cheap ransoms. We're talking about minimum 50k, 100k, 200k in 2003, 2004 in Iraq, right? So we're not talking about like a couple grand here, a couple hundred dollars. And so I was kidnapped at gunpoint from the front of our uh, uh, of our house, and uh, I was shoved in a trunk. You know, I, I have a, I have a. It's one of those things that you really remember, but you don't really remember. It was kind of like a vague little experience. The whole thing didn't take very long. It was like a couple hours. You know, I I got put in there, and then they negotiated a deal. I think we ended up giving like twenty or thirty k, fifty k, something like that. And um, and that's when my dad was like, all right. You guys got to get the hell out of here. This is not going to get fixed because we thought after Saddam is gone, you know, things are going to become better companies. You know, again, my dad owned uh, um, a lot of properties in like prime locations in Baghdad. So we thought, you know, uh, 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 companies are going to come in. They're going to either buy them out or want to partner with us, do some projects. But things just kind of went south from there. And uh, so, yeah, this was kind of the last straw for us. How old were you? Uh, at the time, I was 13. 12, 13. 12, 13. Yeah. Were you, were you scared there? Like in most of the movies, uh, when there's a kidnapping, it doesn't work out too well on the negotiation side in a, you know, a country like that. I'd be, I'd be pretty scared that I was going to die or something. You know, I actually ended up getting some pretty cool people. Like they were laughing around and joking around with me and like, you know, they gave me a, a pretty warm meal and all that. It was, it was like a, it was a, I think a, a new group that were just kind of like getting used to this. Um, yeah. so they were also a little nervous. Uh, but I was, I was pretty scared, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. I was scared. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's amazing. Just, you know, new kidnappers, just, you know, new entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> that's oh. what it was. Honestly, it was just a business. That's all it was. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So you come here, you work at McDonald's and then you have this entrepreneurial bug and you start starting all these businesses. This is your ninth. Some of the others failed. Were the other ones e-com businesses as well? No, so some of them were in the retail uh, space. There was a, uh, you know, there was a, a couple uh, medical marijuana dispensary involved in there as well. Uh, the whole uh, green rush in California happened in 2000, early 
2015, 16. Um, but the biggest one was my, um, and, and those obviously didn't work out, you know, got either shut down by the city or the feds or whatever else. It was just kind of one of those things that it's like, hey, everyone else doing it, let's try it. And uh, nope, didn't work out. Had a felony on my record, had to deal with that for a few years, but it is what it is. Um, the biggest one for me that was the biggest lesson was a was a business right after our first one, which shaped the following years of my life and really made me who I am today. And this was a restaurant that I started in 2000, and, well, not started, but purchased in 2013 as a 23-year-old kid that was filled with ego and with I know it all. And this was the the thing that um, looking back at, I have so many lessons that I've learned um, that again have shaped how I lead, that have shaped the decision making, that have um, uh, helped me thicken my skin. Um, six months into that restaurant, I realized that I didn't know what I was doing and I had no money to invest in that business. And so I was working for about three years, 120 hours per week, sometimes working 46, 46 hour, 46, 47 hour shifts. I would work because we bought the place it was a dive bar. We needed to remodel it. I didn't have money to remodel. So I picked up the hammer and learned framing walls and laying tile and all that stuff. So I would work a 12 hour shift. We would close, we would remodel overnight, clean full hour shift, and then, you know, and then go home and sleep. And um, and this was an interesting experience, man, because three years into it, on April 28, 2015, at 5 p.m., after I, this was California, after I had left to go pick up my girlfriend, who's not my wife, um, I got a call from the restaurant saying uh, the, the kitchen is on fire. So by the time I got there, our entire kitchen was destroyed. And just four months prior to that, I had stopped paying for my insurance. And so now I had a restaurant that's destroyed. I have zero money in the bank. I probably owed, I don't know, a hundred grand at this point of backup payments, you know, not paying rent for a few months, all that stuff, just because the business wasn't doing well. I didn't know what I was doing. And it had nothing to do with work ethic because I was the hardest working man in the room, but it was about not knowing what I was doing. And that's a problem that I see in with entrepreneurs now every single day. And I'm pretty sure you see it as well. And I know this is why we both have the companies that we do to teach people to not get into those problems. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. And so you you figure out this this online ecom thing. And so I want to go into the starting of this business because, like you said, sixteen hour days, Facebook groups, DMing people, getting them in the chat. Um, and this this is common in our industry now. Whether it's a post, a two step, you know, or initiating a conversation out of somebody else's Facebook group, driving them to a messenger chat and then getting them on the phone, it's kind of a group funnel type type thing. So yeah. that's what you were doing. This was a few years ago now. It was just you. When did you start this initial business? 2019? The 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 coaching business? Yep. Uh, so 2019. You, so first you had your first Amazon store. Yeah, so I started as an Amazon seller in 2015, and then late 2018 is when I decided to start coaching. Uh, so 2019 was like first year in business, and I was still a solopreneur at that time. When you first started, we had, uh, I bought that amazing selling store thing and we had a supplement line that uh -huh. does not be in a good supplement. And I lost, I mean, 20, 30 grand. 
um, on this initial, you know, cause I had to buy all the supplements and then try all these things. And I lost a lot of money there. So I just kind of, you know, I was like, e-com's not for me. And I didn't want to be in front of a computer all day anyway. And so, and I was doing it on the side while I was on the Tony jam. I, I started and failed a lot of businesses on the side while I was, while I was there. Um, you start your own Amazon selling process, getting products off Alibaba drop shipping. Was that kind of the, the thing? Yeah, it started as uh, running around to different stores and kind of buying things on discounts and then shipping them to Amazon. And then that yeah. very quickly realized that it was a, a, a big bottleneck that I just didn't have enough hours in the day and there wasn't enough stores with enough products. So then I, I, I realized that there was this, uh, this other concept called private label FBA. And that's yeah. where you go to the manufacturer, you find a product, you ship it directly to Amazon, Amazon stores for you, fulfills all that stuff. You have your own brand, you can scale it, you can sell it, you can do all that. And so that's what I started doing um, like early 2016. And then I think 2017 was my first like seven figure year, which I didn't even think that was even possible. And then 2018, I was like, holy shit, I didn't know this was possible. And then a few friends started kind of asking around, like, what are you doing? You know, you're never anywhere. You're always home. How are you making all this money? People thought I was like scamming people online or something like that. And um, and so I started teaching a few friends. A few friends started getting results. And I started realizing that I can focus on scaling my Amazon business and scaling it to eight figures, nine figures, or I can get into this new thing. The thing that this new thing was now giving me was fulfillment that the Amazon business didn't give me. You know, because I was seeing the skill wasn't just impacting my life and the lives of my loved ones and stuff like that, but I was now impacting someone else's life. I was creating an impact beyond myself. And I think this is where entrepreneurs, um, like Tony talks about this, you know, the, the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment, right? When you find a thing that fulfills you is really when you have won in life, because he, he says, you know, the, the, the thing that you don't want to do is accomplish great things and then not be fulfilled. You're like technically screwed now, right? So I went into that time of, I have the money, I'm making money, I'm clearing my debt, I'm retiring my parents, I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm still not excited every morning. What's going on? I've never had this much money in my life. Why am I not excited? A new car is not making me happy. A trip is not making me happy. What the hell is going on? And I see a lot of people, especially in our space, be at that level where they're flashing the Lambos, they're traveling, they're living in a $30,000 a month penthouse or whatever, but they're still trying to find things that are that they want fulfillment from and they think it's out there, but it's really in here. And then once you figure what that is, and for me, it was seeing the impact happen in other people's lives. And so now the impact is on the community level, on the students level, and also on the team level, because we have a decently large team and especially for where we wanna go, I see that impact happen before my eyes. And that's the thing that excites me every morning. Amazing. So you basically took your expertise, you packaged it into a course. And at that point, had you gone through the Sam Ovens consulting jam, like on how yeah. to and a little bit of sales. And so you, you have this kind of leveraged video stuff, and then you're doing, I guess, weekly calls with these folks and you have a thousand dollar thing that you're selling through DMS. Like, how did you initially start your business? You create the videos, you reached out, you did it as like a done for you. Like the initial stages of like your first, how did you make your first money in the education space? It was anything and everything. You need help. I've got the skill. I can teach you. What do you want? A one-on-one -on -one call. Okay. It's a hundred bucks at this. It's that, you know, it was just like, let me just get started. You know, let me see what's going on. Because what I realized is 
Just because I know something, how to do something, doesn't mean I know how to teach it, you know? Because I would see a lot of people that were creating courses and I would take their course and I'm like, this makes zero sense. I see the the idea, but I'm they're just not delivering it correctly. And I was afraid that I was that I would do the same thing. And so first I created the course, which now looking back, I would never do. I would, you know, bring people in and then just teach it live. I think this is how you started, and this was perfect. Uh, and then learn from there and then reiterate. I sat for like two months creating a course and polishing it and making it perfect. And I had not sold a single thing. Um, and then I, so after, so I created a course, it was $399, $399. Group, coaching calls, 101, WhatsApp, I mean, anything, it all goes. You want to text me, you want to call me at 3 a.m. and, you know, no problem. I'll answer your questions. Um, and then from there, I was at a, a seminar in, in, um, in San Diego and, and the presenter was like, so you got to increase your prices. He charged me three grand to teach me. I don't know what. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to pay 3000, I better charge more than $399. Right. So I bumped that up to 697 and then 497, 697, 997. This is still uh, phone. So my thing was, I created an audience on Facebook. This was, I started YouTube, Instagram, everything. The one thing that hit for me was Facebook. So I would create content on Facebook. I would post like four or five times a day. And then what I would do is I would, um, like I built my Facebook page as my website. And then I would go to Amazon related groups. So like uh, tools, websites, whatever, people that like, this is where they go, you know, to, to, to mingle, to get information. I would go to the members list and I would go to the people that just requested to join the latest ones, the ones that joined yesterday, two days ago, three days ago. Your group or other people's groups? Other people's groups. I did not have a group. Okay. Yeah. I did not have a group. Yeah. And then I would add them. So I figured that I can't add more than 35 people a day because then Facebook starts fucking with me and like starts doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So I would add 35 people every day. Next morning, I would go and message every person that accepted my request and just have an open-ended question. Like, well, not even a question, just, hey, Basharka, two here, you know, we just uh, connected, wanted to say hello. That's it. Smile of face. How did you track that? Did you have a way to track the people that accepted your friend request? Did you have some kind of CRM to track? And no, no, Facebook? no. Well, Facebook notifies you when someone accepts your request, right? If you yeah. send a request, Facebook notifies you. So I would just go back and I would just message all these people, just copy paste. And then, and then my, my page is designed to set me as an expert, you know, um, I'm posting my stuff on there. I did not have any students, so I didn't have any testimonials or anything, but I'm posting value. I'm posting like, uh, Amazon advice. I'm posting just all kinds of stuff. And then on my thing obviously says Amazon FBA coach. Right. And so people would reach out and say, um, Hey, do you teach? Or they would just ask questions, you know, and then I would just, very casual, not trying to like, I'm not here to teach you. I'm not here to coach you. I'm not here to do anything. I'm just connecting as a friend, 100%, you know, and I would be very casual. And then I would give advice. I would uh, not advice about Amazon, but advice on how to start. Like I would never go into technicalities. I would never sell the actual features of the thing, you know, it was just always giving them advice on like how to pick the right mentor you know, uh, uh, um, why they should get into Amazon, that kind of stuff, more like the future than the feature. 
And I had zero training on that. Honestly, it was just kind of more instinct. It just kind of like what felt right. And I would just go with that. And so I did that until all throughout 2019. And again, this was a lot of work, you know, because now I have students, I've got to do coaching calls. I'm still running my Amazon business. And this, this is a beast. I mean, this needs a lot of feeding because it's a conversation you're, you're talking. At the time, I think I scaled my, um, my business to about 50 or 60K a month. This is pure profit, all organic. And I believe the product was a thousand or I think I want to, I, I want to say I was at 2000, like the highest was 2000. I know I didn't go more than 2000 when I was in the DMs. So this is how kind of the whole thing started. And this was 2019. Did you send people a link to a sales page or like a pay funnels link? No, no, it was just, it was just um conversation. Yes. If they keep asking questions, yes, I offer coaching. It's an interview process. I got to interview you to make sure that I know how to do it or that you know that you want it, that I'm a good fit, blah, blah, blah. Get them on the phone, follow Sam Oven script, and then close them. Boom. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Sales, marketing, delivery, all you. All me. Yeah. yeah. That's that's amazing. And then who was your your first hire? Aaron. Aaron. Aaron wow. was my first hire. Yeah. Aaron in 2000. So late 2019, it was October or November. I jumped on a call and I was like, Sam, I can't fucking do this anymore, man. There's gotta be, there's gotta be an easier way to make money. I mean, I'm working my face off. And then the days that I'm not working, I'm not making money. It's like, what the fuck? And yeah. so he's like, all right, well, you need to hire. Okay. And who do I hire first? He said, what's the, where, what's paining you the most? I said, the phone, I want to get the fuck off the phone. He said, okay, hire a sales rep. So I made a post on, on Facebook. I had started the podcast like a few months before and I had interviewed Aaron. He was working in Asia. Um, mm -hmm. He was running some hotels and I still remember he came on the show. He was shirtless. He was fucked up drunk and I had <laughs> interviewed him. And um, and so, yeah, he, he reached out. He was supposed to be like a recruiter to recruit sales reps. But then he's like, hey man, look, what if I do it for you? Let's kind of see how it is and we'll go from there. And that was that. For all of you, all of you listening that want to get a sales job, do not show up drunk. Just, you know, <laughs> uh, that's, that's phenomenal, man. That's, and Aaron's just an amazing guy. I'll be with him this week. So that's, that's great. Um, you know, there's so much that we could dig into, but I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about your business and what you created um, or anything that you think would help the listeners be more influential in their capacity to build a business? Is there anything that you'd like to share? <laughs> Uh, something I do like to share is I think we, we all try to, we get into this, this business and whatever your business is to make money. That's kind of the very first thing that we, we get into business to do, but at, behind all of it is really happiness, right? To find happiness, to find joy. Like I always tell people, it's like the reason why we start businesses, why we go to school, why we have sex, why we get married, why we have kids, why we drink, why we go out, whatever. It's all because we want fulfillment. We want happiness. We want all that stuff. Um, if you tap into that source from within you and try to find that thing from within, from inside, you'll be able to be a better leader, a better influencer, and a better part of society and actually leave a legacy because then you won't be needing to, to go after things out there to make you happy, a nicer car, a, 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 you know, a flashier bracelet or Rolex or whatever. If you like these things, great but don't expect them to bring you happiness. And the reason why I'm saying this, because I know we've got a big audience in this space, 
And man, I see a lot of them doing things that it's just like, what are you doing? You like you're you're bringing a, a, the wrong image to this industry. And I know that's not your intention. I know your intentions are pure, you know, because a lot of people seem like good humans and seem like they really want to help, but they just get into the whole space for the wrong reasons. And the FTC is coming, man. It's coming hard. And trust me, soon we're going to see some real crazy cases coming our way. Um, and you don't want them on your back, you know. But if you just kind of go back to the main reasons why you got into this whole thing and make it about others, not so much about yourself, you know, make it about how can you serve other people? How can you put other people's interests before yours? You'll always win. Because what I've realized, especially with our company, is that the more I give to our team, the more the team, I guess you could say, feels obligated to give back to the to the community, to give back to the company. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm the company, right? So if they support the colleagues, they support the community, they support the the the, the their teammates, my interest is supported. So I don't even need to think about my interest. I don't even think about my bottom line. I think of how can I serve them better? What can I do to provide them with a um with a place where they can grow, right? Not just make money, but grow. And the, the, their paycheck is a byproduct. So this would be kind of my my final message to everyone watching. Yeah. How can we serve other people? Have fulfillment. Don't chase all the shiny stuff. Make sure you're FTC compliant by not doing all these crazy claims that people are doing that are, that are clickbaity uh, and will get some attention, but it will not serve you in the long run. That's what I'm hearing. Yes, uh, sir. Where can, uh, obviously you have an Instagram that people can follow, but uh, where, where should people go to kind of get involved in what you're doing and follow you and, and see what you're all about? Where's the best place? So, I, you know, you could go to uh, YouTube right now. It's called BJK University, but our, our YouTube strategists are telling me to change it back to my personal name, Bashar JK2. But uh, I would say YouTube would probably be a, a, a great place. There's a lot of uh, longer form content there where I get into, you know, mindset stuff and things that I'm learning and that I'm developing on on a daily basis. I'm a, I'm a Tony Robbins fanboy lately. Uh, so, you know, I'm in his uh, uh, platinum partnership program and attending all of his uh, events. So, uh, you know, I'll be talking a lot of, um, you'll hear a lot about uh, things that I'm learning from Tony and things like that. So uh, yeah, go to YouTube and find me there. Very cool. And are you going to date with Destiny this week? Uh, you know, I was gonna, I was supposed to be. I was at uh, UPW last uh, couple of weeks ago. And I had reserved to go to uh, Date with Destiny, but uh, last minute I had to pull the plug because of some things that are happening at uh, in the business that I need to take care of. But um, I'll make sure that I don't miss the, the next one. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing, brother. And for uh, everybody listening, thanks so much for listening to another amazing episode of the Everything is Influence podcast. And we'll see you soon in the next one. Take care. Hey, this is Eli. And if you got a ton of value out of this podcast and you are committed to leveling up your influence or sales skills, then I want to invite you to speak with my team using the link below in the show notes. Now, I only want you to book this call if you are truly committed to making real change. So if that's you, check it out. And until next time, be influential.